Hey everyone, it's 8 p.m. Eastern. It's uh, episode 84. It's just an open topic Q and A. Um, there's just there's a lot going on, and we haven't done this since I think Thursday. And so I thought I would just throw it to the room and uh, let you guys pick for a change. Um, as you know, kind of uh, just a touch base, and I'm sure some of you will have questions or comments about it. Um, I will be hosted and podcasting on Substack starting tomorrow. Um, it's about three months in the making working with Substack um, to kind of get me over there and get moved over there. And uh, they've been great and they've been helpful with that whole thing. And um, it's, it's, it's been a journey. <laughs> Let me just say that much. Uh, it's been stressful. It's been exciting. Uh, I'm nervous. I'm hopefully not going to break anything. Um, I know I've, I've had a couple of problems already that I am working on uh, as far as having to issue a few partial refunds, et cetera. So um, if you, if you have signed up over there and if there's problems, or whatever, uh, I'm working my best to kind of work, get those kinks out. Um, I talked about on the podcast today, um, something about the Hamilton 68. This was the latest thing. Uh, Project Hamilton 68 was the latest thing that, that came out of the Twitter files dropped by Matt Taibbi that basically revealed the entire Russia gate narrative was basically pushed by one think tank headed up by Bill Crystal and John Podesta. <clears throat> and the amount of influence and reach that this one think tank held over mainstream media outlets is pretty stunning. It includes CNN, the Washington Post, New York Times. And, uh, Essentially, to if you haven't read Taibbi's Twitter thread, I'd recommend you do so. But essentially, what was revealed is that this think tank was trying to pressure Twitter into getting accounts suspended over the fact that they were Russian assets or working with Russian bot armies, etc. And to Twitter's credit, for the most part, they pushed back on this, but they were able to also reach kind of into mainstream media and influence Russia coverage uh, through several mainstream online or, or se several news outlets that included the New York Times who won a Pulitzer for their Russia gate coverage. Um, I don't know if it's far fetched to say a lot of this is what led to the Mueller investigation, but I would say that it certainly influenced it and the media coverage certainly influenced it. It has certainly influenced Democrats to launch a special counsel. And it's, again, it's pretty stunning. In the fact that um, Columbia Journalism Review, which is a liberal leading outlet, progressive outlet, is kind of coming out with a four-part series that really digs into all of this. And they've rebuked uh, the New York Times and several news outlets over basically falling for this. And all this boiled down to was neither Bill Kristol nor John Podesta could admit how bad of a presidential candidate Hillary Clinton was. And so instead of you know, looking inward and going, hey, maybe we should have gone to Wisconsin once uh, instead of hanging out with the cast of Hamilton a bunch of times. They decided that Russia stole the election in 2016 and we need to investigate it. And Trump is a Russian puppet and there's P tapes and all of this stuff. And so all how all of that stuff was born. It's, it's pretty breathtaking. Roger Kimball has a piece at Spectator as well talking about uh, the fact that none of these outlets have so much acknowledged that this happened because it's it's such a black eye for them. And I actually think that this is a huge, huge scandal um, that, you know, I don't know if it doesn't go away, um, but it's going to be interesting to see if they can ignore it much longer. We also talked about 
uh, my piece today, Washington Examiner, about uh, in the wake of the Tyree Nichols beating death uh, at the hands of five police officers, uh, the political left, namely Democrats, are rearing their heads back towards uh, defunding the police. Uh, however, they, we know that how unpopular that message is. Uh, they've simply just changed the language. It's now reimagine the police. And so this is kind of what they're doing and what they always do. They do it with gender affirming care. They do it with not tax increases. It's reno, it's revenue generation. And, uh, it's, it's been enlightening to see them try to push this, uh, as well as trying to push a race angle in a case that doesn't appear to have it. Um, so those are just a few things that I talked about. But like I said, this is going to be open topic q and I'm going to just dive right into it. Um, I guess right off the bat, let me say thank you for if you if you are subscribed to Patreon, if you've moved over to Substack, thank you for uh, your patience with all of that. And also thank you for your support over on Patreon for the past few years. Um, I'm independent. I'm completely independent media. I don't have sponsors. I don't get paid to tweet. I don't get paid to write anything except obviously uh, if I'm doing for outlets, but, uh, as far as like pushing anything, I'm not one of those influence peddlers or anything. So I'm dependent upon subscribers. Um, and so again, thank you for your support. And, uh, again, your patience as I do this very delicate move. <laughs> um, I'm going to just dive right in. Like I said, open topic Q and a, uh, you can hit me with anything you pretty much want as always just ground rules, just in case, just be mindful of the queue. It looks like we have a few people in there already. Um, just please learn to mute, uh, just please mind to mute your microphone. Uh, if you're not speaking, it just makes it easier for the recording and as well as people listening. Um, and also just be mindful that there might be people behind you and we just want to try to get through as many as possible. So, uh, with that, I'm just going to jump in. Like I said, topic Q thing, political culture, whatever. Bruce, go ahead. Hey, good evening, Stephen. And yeah, I've, uh, got my, uh, Substack all set up. Uh, I think it'll be great. Uh, the one topic I want to talk about tonight, and then I'm going to have to jump off because I had dinner with the family, but I want to talk about uh, the Georgia-Atlanta Democratic Convention for 2024. Man, I think the state of Georgia needs to go to the mattresses on this one. I think they need to sue Major League Baseball. I think they need to, like, if the legislature can do it, could just legislate that the, the Democratic National Committee cannot host their convention there. I'm not sure if that's constitutional, but I think they should try. And I, I think they should just pull out all the stops and whatever they can do, just just trash it, just trash the whole effort to do that. Make them hold it in Fairbanks, Alaska or something. Uh, yeah, this is a fun one. Someone I didn't see this and someone alerted me to it in my uh, podcast comments. Uh, per NBC News, Southern Democrats rally for Atlanta 2024 convention. It says New York City and Chicago are also vying to host uh, with the party expected to pick a winner this spring. And I'm just, I'll read a little bit of this. And it says Atlanta is one of the three finalists to host the convention along with New York and Chicago. The letter sent Monday to Biden and Democratic National Committee Chair Jamie Harrison is signed by more than 65 current and former Democratic senators, congressmen, and governors, mayors, and legislators from a dozen southern states. Notable names include Tim Kaine, Mark Warner, uh, Jim Clyburn, uh, Cedric Redmond. Well, if it's Clyburn, then it's going to be in Atlanta. Um, yeah, I don't know the constitutionality of it, but uh, if if you're the RNC and certainly if you're Kemp, um, I, I think you have to hammer them on this because, as we were told, we, we couldn't we couldn't host events in Georgia because it was the new Jim Crow, the voting law, the voting uh, ratifications that were passed uh, in the wake of COVID. 
And obviously there was political pressure and mostly media pressure put on Georgia and MLB to move the All-Star game, which Major League Baseball officially caved to. And you can thank Miss Stacey Abrams, amongst others, for that one. And now here we are. We were told it was Jim Crow. It was Jim Crow on steroids. It was Jim Eagle, even. Um, that was even worse. And here we are after post-election. We've obviously learned that voter turnout in Georgia was not suppressed. Uh, hardly anything that was reported about this law came true. Several aspects of it were misconstrued on purpose. And the media has just kind of moved on from all of that. It's a perfect example of kind of drive-by, you know, media narratives where they come in and they they pressure organizations like Major League Baseball, which they tried to do in Florida with Disney over DeSantis and others. Um, and this is this is kind of the media's new trick for the last few years. If they can't persuade a law to not be passed, they simply now just they go to corporate and they they turn their attention to corporations in that state. For some reason, we have to get uh, a, a United Airlines input on why there's, you know, why don't you oppose this new transgender law or what have you? And it's kind of it's their only card that they have to play. And I think people are getting real tired of it. Um, we saw that, you know, what's his name? Greg Sargent from Washington Post said that DeSantis would face a reckoning over his stance on Disney. Well, the reckoning was he was elected with the largest margin of a governor in Florida in 30 years. Um, and so, yeah, this is this is going to be a fun one to just hammer away on. And I, I may write about it as well with this idea that, you know, we couldn't host the baseball game. You, If you lived in Georgia, if you wanted to go to the All-Star game in Atlanta, you couldn't do that because they moved it over the media – uh, attention to this law, but now Democrats think it's a okay to go host their convention in uh, Jim Crow, Southern Georgia, and yeah, it, this this really is a fun one. If I'm Kemp, I don't know if you prevent them from doing it. I think maybe you allow them to do it and just let you know and just hammer them away. And I can guarantee you, a certain governor from Florida probably will hammer away on this as well. Kemp should. Yeah, I don't think they can stop it, uh, you know, because ultimately the, the DNC is a is a private organization. But I, I just think that they should make a very public uh, display and, you know, and, and go back to Major League Baseball. I, I think they need to be called on the carpet for this. And, you know, and, and it was clear from the the empirical data from the election and uh, last November that there, there was no voter suppression and it was just a, a big ado about nothing. And they moved an all-star game over it, you know, to, that was supposed to honor Hank Aaron, who was, you know, a, a, one of probably the greatest brave to play baseball. So, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't have anything further. Uh, I just, I just, that, that's just was something that really bothered me today. I wanted to get that off my chest. Yeah. I would say like, I, I get how it like can bother. I think it's just, I think it's funny just how blatant they are being over this. <laughs> so what are they going to say? Well, actually it's not Jim Crow because voter turnout. So we're not going to do that when they haven't, you know, retracted any of those statements. Speaking of media retractions, um, there hasn't even been on any of these outlets or say Joy Reid show saying, well, we got that one wrong uh, because voter turnout actually increased in these elections. And then we also heard from the usual suspects that just because voter turnout, just because voters turned out doesn't mean that there's still not voter suppression, just like we saw with Tyree Nichols, which is just because the opposite is black doesn't mean it's not race. 
and so we all we see that with them every time it's either going to be about race and even if it doesn't turn out to be about that they're still going to kind of say and make it about that um and so i I don't know if it's something to be outraged over i think it's just personally funny just how blatant it is and um like i said it's something i may i may decide to uh just tackle for a quick piece to to uh put out there but yeah it this this one is great i mean they just they i guess they're just going to admit actually no it's not jim crow anymore so we can go host it and it also reminds me of uh how they called the filibuster and you know a uh, a relic of jim crow and then two weeks later they used it to filibuster tim scott's police right. uh, reform bill right so again this all comes down to an accountable media if we had an accountable media these things wouldn't happen they wouldn't be allowed to get away with these kinds of comparisons um and the fact that like nbc writes this up without without even a hint of last spring they put pressure to move the all-star game um, because they're hoping that everyone just kind of forgets. And- yeah. All right. Well, I don't have anything further. Well, like you said, you got a lot of callers lined up behind me, so we'll let them talk. Great. And I uh, look forward look forward to listening in on Substack. <laughs> Thanks, Bruce. I appreciate it. Cheers. All right. Good night. Let me move Jacqueline up here. I saw that you uh, had some subst or some either some Patreon concerns or whatever just a few months ago on Twitter. So let me have it. Yeah, that's I, I know you saw on Twitter what I had said. So um, yeah, I, I just don't understand why Patreon when I paid for the month of January, I didn't get the full month of January. To me, that doesn't make sense. If I pay for a subscription, I should get it till the month ends. And I sent you, like I said, I sent you my 80 bucks for Substack the other day. And I was like, okay, I'll just cancel this. I canceled it like this afternoon. This was like, oh, I don't want to be charged tomorrow. I'll just, since you had already said that you're moving to Substack. And then I go back after you posted on Twitter that your new podcast was up and like everything disappeared. So Patreon has some sort of problem there. If you pay for something for the month, you should have it for the entire month. Yeah. I don't know what happened on that. I don't, I don't understand. Patreon did that. I, this is the first I've heard of this. I I'm under the impression that if you are charged on the first and, and if you cancel, you're still, you still get the month and whatever it might be because it's the last night of the month and Patreon's starting to, uh, do rollover. So basically at midnight is when Patreon starts to calculate subscriptions and then it takes most of the day for them to then process. Um, what I can, what I can say on that is that I know that there's like a week missing of the archive on Substack right now. It's, it's only counted up to like, excuse me, the 21st, and Substack, I know, is going to work to update the missing week uh, of the archive. So uh, if you're su- if you're if you're subbed over Substack, you're still going to get those episodes. You're just going to have to go back and listen to them. And today was a really good one too, Jacqueline. You should have you should have stayed subscribed. <laughs> well, I th- I thought I would still be subscribed because. Yeah. Yeah, I, yeah. Again, I don't. I don't have a good answer for that, and. Patreon doesn't really offer explanations, and that that's one of the many list-long reasons of went through the uh, 
the hellish fun process of making this move. Um, I said on the podcast, anyway, I saw, I mean, I said on the podcast today, um, Patreon for what it is and what it kind of started, they kind of started the whole creators community style thing where, Hey, instead of doing this through a website, just post your stuff here and pay here. And then we'll take a chunk of it. And they do. Um, but they never really kept up with the times and Substack kind of came in and I, I don't want to say perfected it because I still think we're going to have more Substacks in the future. Um, but they at least I think cornered the market on it for now. And the problem with Patreon is I don't know if it's just a diminished workforce. I don't know if they just never decided to grow, but they just never decided to grow. It, they basically stayed a small time kind of web operator. And I think that uh, content creators that flocked to them, they didn't really know how to handle the volume. And so as, a, as an application and as a website, they're severely and far behind. They do like one or two updates to things uh, every few months. And so uh, it's been a head, it, that part of it's been a headache. Obviously, when subscriptions roll over and people get booted over their card or they can't resubscribe, that has been a, a thorn in my side now for a lot of recent months. It didn't used to be that way. Um, but as far as canceling and then not getting the, the podcasts, uh, you know, I, I agree with you. So I don't know what Patreon is doing on that end. So what I will say is you will get them at Substack because I'm moving the full archive over, basically, if that makes sense. All right. No, I can understand that. It was just annoying when I tried to go listen to it today and I couldn't because... Everything was wiped clean from Patreon. Yeah, you 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 missed a good one, Jacqueline. I, I talked about the the trans figure skater from Finland uh, that was going around, which was it's still. I talked about that, and then obviously what I mentioned about Hamilton sixty eight. The trans figure skater is still just mind blowing to me. I'm still watching this clip, and I don't believe it's not a comedy routine. Like I don't believe it or something. Um, seen it or not and for those of you who haven't seen it um it's a 59 year old farmer in finland who is a uh biological male he's 59 he wanted to realize his dream of being a pretty princess figure skater so he is either now come out as trans or non-binary and he's trying to be a figure skater and he's competed as a female figure skater in a couple of things and um, first, when you see him, he weighs like 270 pounds. He's a big guy. So it's, it's, it's like John Goodman on skates. It's hilarious. And then he, the European national tournament, uh, opened up and they did this kind of opening skate ceremony where they have all the, they have a bunch of figure skaters all waving a flag. And then they all go to the boards and the spotlight comes on and the, the guy comes out and he's dressed in like a figure skating outfit. And he can't do a single figure skating move. He just kind of coasts with his leg up and then he tries to do a turn and he falls down and he can't get back up. And the most delicious part of this clip is one of the female figure skaters holding the flag skates up to him, helps him up. She's tiny too, helps him up, gives him the flag to hold on to. And then she just skates off. And I thought it was just perfect. Perfection. It's perfection that this guy had to have an actual female figure skater who should have been kind of could have been prompt, you know, in this opening ceremony doing a routine. 
uh, go over and have to help him up all in the name of diversity and inclusivity. Um, it was, it's just perfection. And if you haven't seen it, just you can Google or search Twitter for it. Um, something that's interesting is Twitter. Uh, there's a lot of people right now complaining about Twitter's algorithm and shadow banning and whatever. And once again, my account is stalled completely. My engagements are horrible. I don't really bitch or talk more about this stuff. But what was interesting is when I was going to look at this clip today for the podcast, I was searching my tweet for it and it won't come up in search. Um, if I, if I search individual words that I knew were in the tweet, like female, I knew I said the, you know, the, the perfect part of this is the female figure skater helping him up. Uh, when I searched female, uh, it doesn't, the tweet doesn't even come up. I had to scroll back physically on my Twitter feed to find it. And then I, so what I did is I copied the exact tweet and I pasted it in search. And that's the only time it came up. If I, if I, searched one of the words from the tweet, uh, the tweet is gone. It doesn't even come up in search. So some more fun Twitter shenanigans happening. Um, but yeah, that's, you missed it. You missed a fun one today, Jacqueline. So I do apologize for whatever, whatever's going on with Patreon. Um, it's one of them. I said one of the many reasons why I'm moving off of the platform. And like I said, if you are subbed like just monthly or yearly, whatever founding at Substack, um, I'll, I am going to make sure that these, last few episodes get uploaded so you'll have all right sounds good this, um, this is me playing customer support am i doing well do i are you going to leave a positive <laughs> survey result yes i will give a five out of five on the customer service survey and uh yeah i did see that video i didn't really read much into the other context of it but I did see the video because obviously everybody was posting it a few days ago and I saw it on Twitter and it, like you said, it just looked ridiculous. This <laughs> dude dressed in a women's figure skating outfit it, out there falling, it, all, if, falling if he, all over if, himself. If he could actually skate, like if it was actually uh, a person, let's say he was transgender, who fair enough is wearing the pretty outfit. And could actually like go out there and I'm not even asking for like Christy Yamaguchi here. I'm just, you've put the work in and uh, actually went out and actually made some like figure skate. I'd be like fine with this, but I, I just can't believe it's not a practical joke. Like we're being, we're being asked to kind of like blindly fall in line and support this. And if you're one of those girls out there holding the flag, I'm kind of just like, how are they just not? Just like you have to be shitting me that we have to and we're and we're not supposed to question this and we're not supposed to ask, hey, we're just expected to uh, accept it. And it, it was it was amazing. And the point I made also on this is this this also tax larger that this is this whole thing about sports and genderism and sports and whatever. It's all directed towards women. There's not trans men trying to join men's leagues here. And this is at collegiate level or whatever. It's all kind of infringing on female sports. And again, I think there's going to come a time when, you know, the next wave feminism decides that they've had enough of this kind of stuff. But we'll see. Maybe not. But I think. We'll. I completely agree, and I know I saw on your Twitter you had retweeted about the uh, Azarenka interview yeah. at the Open and stuff like that. Like you've been, you've talked about it for a while. How 
these sports writers want to be political writers. So they're asking because they can be, I think they look at it and say, they look at it and they say political opinion writers are free to just, they don't have to hide and sports writers are kind of expected to just write about the sport and kind of keep their personal political opinions under wraps. And I think what they're seeing is the, the journalists today that get the most attention are the ones that are dropping the hottest political takes. And so I think that's where a lot of this is coming from. And especially it's enabled by ESPN. Um, and now we've seen that the athletic is going down that road and because the athletic was bought by the New York times. And I think that that's where that comes from, where there is a breed of sports writer that genuinely hates sports and they would rather comment on the social, the social and political and the social justice action movements behind sports, um, which you can't remove. I mean, there's an element where I would say you cannot remove politics from sports. It's tied back to people like Jesse Owens and Muhammad Ali and I'm never one of those people that says athletes should just shut up and not do their job. I guess I look at it and say, uh, you're, to your detriment, if you've decided to stake out a position and a post and be very active and you know, public about it, know that 50% of the population is probably going to resent you either way, whether it's someone on the right or someone on the left. And so I don't, I'm not like against sports writers writing about political stances of athletes, but the, clearly the writers are taking stances themselves. And to me, that's the issue with sports journalism today, if that makes sense. And, and I completely agree that if, if it's really something that maybe the athlete themselves brings up at first, you can then you can ask some questions, but Azarenka just was playing a tennis tournament, and then there's all these people asking, "Oh, because she's Russian." It's like, "Oh, what do you think about the Russian war?" All she's like, "I don't, I can't answer a question without you spinning it." And no matter what I say, you're gonna make it sound however you want. So I'm not answering your question because she didn't bring it up in the first place. The sports writers are bringing it up and. Their job is to write about her playing tennis at the Australian Open, not about what she thinks about a war in Russia she may or may not agree with. I don't know. And I don't care. If she were to bring it up on her own, that would be interesting. But just to ask her about it because she's of some nationality is just absolutely insane to me. Yeah, and I mean, you're going to see pushback, but you're going to see some of this. We just saw, obviously, with Provorov from the Flyers not wearing his ribbon. And then, what was it, two, three, four, five nights ago, the entire New York Rangers team uh, uh, foregone uh, or went decided not to do the Pride jerseys uh, for warm-ups. And there wasn't really a statement. A statement just released from the Rangers basically said, we respect everyone's beliefs, da 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 and you have to think with the Rangers and with any hockey team that they're um, – you have Europeans on those teams. You have people people who don't adhere to American woke culture. Um, I mean, hockey more than any other sport features foreigners. Um, so you have people from Sweden, Finland, uh, Russia, Czech Republic, um, all of those countries, Norway um, that probably either they have a religious belief or they just raised a different way. But 
they're expected to fall in line behind uh, the United States' political culture. I don't understand that. And so what I think probably happened is you had more than one player for the Rangers say, we're not going to wear these. And uh, so you may have had five or six who said, no, we're not going to do this. You know, it's either my religious belief or it's just I'm against it, whatever. Um, it's great. I want gay people to be happy and I want them to they can come to the games and that's awesome. It's, it's not what I'm here. I'm not here to bash them. Um, and you probably had a situation where the rest of the team just said, fine, we're not going to do it either. Just in solidarity with their teammates. And uh, I mean, it's interesting between the Rangers and the Flyers, the, the different reactions, but you saw Wisniewski from ESPN throw his little hissy fit and uh, Reuters as well and whatever. And we all just moved on. It's not even a story at this point. And I think more and more athletes are going to see that they're going to just see that, Hey, if I refuse to play your game, um, it's going to be out of the news in two days. And so uh, maybe, and I thought what was really interesting None of the NBA games were canceled over Tyree Nichols, not a single one. And that's what's interesting to me. While sports writers are still trying to say this is about race, like Jameel Hill and others, uh, Bomani Jones are trying to be out here saying this is all about race. The NBA didn't cancel a single game. They didn't walk off. There wasn't any protests. There was no one kneeling over the weekend uh, in the NFL games. And I think that that is also really telling, uh, especially as the media is trying to push Tyree Nichols so hard as another George Floyd. Yeah. And, and I was also going to ask you about the Rangers, but you explained it very well. And I don't even think that story lasted two days. It lasted maybe a day. I saw um, a couple people kind of complaining about it. For one day on Twitter, and then people just kind of forgot about it because people are just getting tired of it. Because the Flyers thing happened just a week before, and ever that story lasted for a week. And then so when it happened again, people are like, we're just done with these shenanigans. And uh, people just have to realize, and I think like you said, the Rangers players... Where it's like, we don't want to deal with this nonsense. We just want to go play a fucking hockey game. We're not trying to get berated for sitting in a locker room. So they they just scrapped the whole deal. And everyone's like, all right, that's fine. Because they don't care enough to do that. If they did, they still could have skated out there with them. But they didn't. Because they didn't care enough about it. And I don't care about that either. So just leave them alone. Let them play the damn game. And enjoy your, your like I said, $150 seats at the game. And then go home. Spend your $20 for a beer. Do whatever you want to do. But don't tell these guys they have to do something that's just something they don't care about enough. Or it's just against their own lifestyle. That's what I think it's about. It's not even about not. Provorov is Russian Orthodox. It's an ancient, you know, thousands of years religion that has its own belief system. And so I think what's the, the reaction from the NHL is going to be interesting as the reaction of other teams. Are other teams going to decide to just not do this? Um, so, I mean, the NHL to me has two ways to go. They can just accept this and keep, you know, saying, Hey, it's a player's choice, 
or they're going to mandate it going forward in the future, which means they'll cave to ESPN. Um, and, and I've made my stance real clear on this. If they if they punish players or fine teams, I am out on the NHL. I can I can get my hockey fix when I play it every week, and I I won't watch playoffs. I won't pay for games. Um, I will be completely out of it, and I will be done with the NHL. So, Jacqueline, good to hear from you. I'm going to move on to Faye. Um, Like I said, uh, I'll make sure to get this last week of podcast archived at Substack, as I know that they cut off on the 21st. So, And uh, I apologize for Patreon. Um, It's kind of a shitty platform. So that's that's all I can give you. Thanks, Jacqueline. Uh, Let me have it. Speaking of Substack stuff, (laughs) <laughs> first of all um happy new year i don't think i've been on a call since before the holidays so a little bit late but happy new year and congratulations on the move to a new platform um so i have a legitimate news question to ask but i have a belated um festivus airing of grievances first yeah. i feel sort of bad nah, coming for it. That's, 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 well, that's <laughs> like, you know, airing of grievances i should it's, it's, it's the flock of harpies going after poor Um, I have a big birthday coming up where four might be involved in February. And so I guess automatically like the Karen properties start coming when you approach that. That's all I can think of. Um, I was curious because I I know you saw my my question on Twitter um, about Substack. I had a month ago, I've been a, a Patreon subscriber for a long time and I signed up for Substack about a month ago and I never saw anything from it. I guess I just didn't think about it because other stuff was happening. And then on Sunday I was setting up a new iPad and I thought, Hmm, I got to, you know, download the Substack app. Why isn't he there? And then whatever. So you had to approve, um, applications. Yeah. I, 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 did, that, tell you I that. did that manually by the way. So <laughs> I got to ask because I have to tell you, even when I was young and in college in New York city, and that was the time when all my friends were going to clubs and stuff, I refuse on principle to queue up for something where you have to beg to be let in if money is involved. I'm like, that's beneath me. I shouldn't be doing this as I approach, you know, with the big four. So I'm curious why it had to be approved and what the criteria are. So no, so they made, so I was working with Substack to move over a bunch of stuff. So one of the big one of the questions when I started communicating with them was how do we get my archive moved? I have three years worth of podcasts, and so at first they were like, um, "I was a unique case because uh, I know that uh, blocked and reported Jesse Singal and Katie Herzog did it, and so they were one of the first ones." But uh, I was basically they had never moved that much content, and so it's all kind of done via RSS feed. Um, but they were also tinkering with, basically, I said, here's, here's some settings that I want and I need. So they actually privatized it partially because they were, they were working on it, but also I didn't have it. I didn't have anything set up. So I'm, as I've said before, I'm big on design. I'm big on presentations. Uh, I think things should be, look, sound, be as professional as possible. And so when I was working on logoing and things like that, I didn't want like half a Substack out there for everyone to see. And so they went and they privatized it just so it, when people, if people came to it, as I was telling people on the podcast, hey, it's there, I'm not charging, but if you want to just register and you'll get updates. Um, I did that first and then they went in and they privatized it to do it. And I was like, so, okay, so how, I basically asked them, how do I get subbers? And I was like, well, you just have to approve them. And I'm like, you realize I'm approving like a lot of people. 
and pretty much for the last week and a half or two weeks, that's every every time I got I get email alerts on my iPhone, and it was going off a lot. And so I was pretty much just hand self approving people. If I was out driving, and I'd have my phone up, and I'd be like, oh, "There's your email alert," and someone requested, so I would you know swipe up into my email box and quickly approve people. So there was no criteria; it was just. Um, they were they were working with the the interface and the design and also tinkering with the back end to, to to get the archive in but yes i had to manually uh approve every single subscriber which was not pleasant or fun boohoo they should come up with a better way to do it especially since i summoning my karen powers have been a subscriber for years and did it a month ago but it seems to be fine now except as you noted i was going to say something but you uh, brought it up yourself it looks the last time I checked, like it's only up to date on Substack through the 21st. Yeah. So when they imported, so when they finished importing the archive, uh, they imported it up to that point. And so the last, the 21st through the 31st, so the last 10 days or so of podcasts, they're going to have to like re-import the RSS fee. And they're going to do that basically next week or, you know, when I tell them to. So they said, um, when I raised it, I said, hey, I'm only up to like the January 21st. That, that's basically what they said. It's like at the point of the import or whatever, that's where it cuts off. So they're going to have to just basically import the last, what, four or five episodes. And then starting tomorrow, obviously, um, is when I start posting live there, updating in real time, if that makes sense. So I don't, I haven't actually done anything. I've done some practice runs, but uh, tomorrow's like the first official podcast at, at Substack with some other probably writing content. Got it. Well, complaining aside, um, that's exciting. And I wish you well and was happy to sign up there and not have to necessarily be concerned about some of the censorship issues that might have been a problem in the future. So I hope all goes well there. Yeah, um, I mean, second yeah, I said on the podcast today, I never, I never ran into a problem with Patreon, and I'm actually surprised about that. I never, I never ran into a problem with Patreon threatening my content, or, you know, I know that they've removed other people who are either politically right or, in some cases, far right. I know they removed a guy from VDare off there, and that that caused a big to do. Uh, I even got grilled on it. Like, why am I still on the platform? They don't allow free speech. And I'm like, I don't care what other people are doing. Um, like on Colin, uh, Ali Alexander, one of the guys who led the Stop the Steal, he has a Colin show on here. And people were asking me about that. And I'm like, I don't give a fuck. I don't listen to him. Don't listen to him then. I think he's a loon. He's a felon. He's a con. He's someone that the political right should have just jettisoned a long time ago. Um, but I don't control his show. Like, I don't care if he has a show on this platform or whatever. Um, but yeah, I was never surprisingly pushed or threatened or anything by, by Patreon. Not once. I never heard from, I had two like zoom meetings with them over content and stuff. Um, and so I was, I was actually, you know, I complimented them today and said, I was actually pleasantly surprised, but you're right. It's one of those platforms where I know that the guy who founded it is a far left dude and it could, it would just take one complaint or two complaints and I would be off the platform. And I'm, I'm officially not having to worry about that at all at Substack. So, well, that's good to know that you don't have that concern then. So I have a small other complaint and then I have an actual issue that you may or may not <laughs> discuss. My complaint is, and I'm sure you don't even remember this about a month ago um, or maybe six weeks ago. I don't know. Can't keep track anymore. 
I was on a call in and then you had mentioned that the next day and you said you didn't think Faye was my real name. And for the record, it is. I would make up a much more glamorous name. <laughs> I, can choose. I don't I don't I don't, I don't ask. And I know you're in government, so I don't, yeah, I don't reveal uh, everything. Obviously, yeah, I, I generally <laughs> and, and it's also just because, you know, this is it's a volatile time and yeah, people no. don't want to put their names or their faces out there or whatever. And I totally understand because that's, you know, it takes, it takes one comment from you for Buzzfeed to start sniffing around your department or something like that. And I'm not generally like worried with Colin. These are all public and they can be clipped or whatever. Um, But they do shit like that. Like someone will come on and say something that they take as like anti-trans or something. And they'll, you they'll try to piece together. Well, this is Faye and she works in government and they'll, you know, they'll try to go track down what Faye said. And do you agree with this, sir? And whatever. And I don't put that above them. So I, I was just kind of like an offhand comment. I was like, <laughs> oh, if you're in government, I don't think that's her name. But now that I know, I, maybe I'll try it. Maybe I'll, I won't do it publicly, but I'll try to buzzfeed my way around and I'll just see if I can go track you down and then send it to you like Twitter DM or something. Say, see, it was easy for me to do it, but, um, I mean, I will say for what it's worth, um, year for years, my Twitter was on private and I did interact because I had a very bad experience. Um, during the Obama administration, when my agency, um, sort of forced into doing a particular regulation, that was by the administration that was very oh, so, so um, you're in regulatory now okay that's that's part of it okay. yeah it's no, one keep, of the things keep talking <laughs> we also do legend congressional affairs if you want to look um and we i actually got uh i think people don't really sometimes that we're sort of just the messengers with these things and this was open for public comment it wasn't like it just got rolled out People had a chance to come and eventually got pulled back. But regardless, um, I had someone send a death threat to my home um, because they were able to track my address. And my husband and I were obviously a little freaked out by that. So we ended up, I mean, I'm sure you could really find me if you look, but I, you know, we hired people to kind of wipe off whatever trace you could. And I went very quiet for years. And then sometime around COVID, when all the censorship really came to the fore, I just got sick of living that way. And I'm not saying that you shouldn't be careful, but I was just like, I'm at the place in my life where I've reached in my career, at least at this agency, (laughs) you know, as high as I can go. And I don't say anything publicly that I don't stand by. And I I don't want to sound flippant about it, but financially, if I I don't think they could legally fire me from my job for saying something, but if you're going to, I'm fine with that because it's more valuable to me to have that kind of freedom. So Backstory, but that that's just where I am now. Is not always like this quote unquote free, but I've reached a point where my freedom to talk just means more, and I won't say something that I wouldn't be comfortable with owning up to. Um, so that's that. Good, okay, but, good to know. Um, but the question, <laughs> I don't know if you're going to answer. Now that I made this big speech about like free speech, you know, flag waving, um, there is an issue that has been getting a lot of attention on Twitter the past couple days or week about someone who had, I'm not going to say names, um, kind of gotten traction in conservative spaces for being an advocate of sorts. And now lots of information has been coming out that the person might not be who that person says they are. Did did, did you listen to today's today's podcast by chance, Faye? I had to work late. (laughs) And then uh, my husband and I had dinner and I just jumped on this. So now I'm not Okay, yeah. so I'm precluding. You you talked about that. Uh, yeah, but keep going. Uh, because well, I mean, the yeah, real I mean, issue it's... that I had wasn't about that 
particular thing because you know grifter is going to grift and people get taken in and all that but i think i and i haven't listened to it but i'm assuming this is the angle that you're more interested in i certainly am where i wanted to know your thoughts on the fact that it seems pretty obvious a lot of old school twitter style censorship went on (laughs) um from mr musk against people who tried to talk about not just people who posted video clips or whatever but anybody who was posting about this was sort of taken down yeah, I. It's not something I have followed step by step. Uh, it's uh, I know who you're referring to, and it's someone who I've always known as around. Like you said, like I know uh, this person's been interviewed by people and um, whatever. I, I kind of am. I was just always kind of like, ah, okay, that's that's their thing, and and whatever. And then, of course, like you said, in the last few weeks, people actually went and did some kind of actual journal journalism on this person and the claims and uh, I know Katie Herzog is part of this now as well. And I saw the claims about posts being blocked, taken down, whatever. And I know that this person obviously is close to Elon Musk, or at least platforming wise is rubbing shoulders with him. So maybe um, I, (laughs) I'm like one of the first people who I think I came out last month and I said, Elon's Twitter is bad and it's okay to admit that it's bad. And I got surprisingly little pushback for that. It was almost like people exhaled. And I'm not saying that I led that or I'm the, I'm the person that did that. Um, but I've been, I've been saying for a while, and I wrote a few weeks ago or back in November, that he's just kind of making things up as he goes. And now you have, there's these shenanigans with people making their accounts private and unprivate and algorithms and Dave Rubin's now investigating things or whatever. Um, I try to shy away from a lot of that cult of personality stuff, um, which is why you don't see me really bitching about algorithms and reaches and stuff. I, I noticed some of it. I'm like, okay, I guess this is what we're doing again. Um, but I, I did see at least the claims that uh, like pro- public available videos and photos of this person were available via YouTube and whatever. And that Twitter then was supposedly taking down this content uh by request of the user. And I think that that's interesting because if, if this stuff is publicly available, it, it'd be like me, you know, saying you have, you have to take down this photo of me that was an appearance on Fox news because I didn't like my hair. And it's interesting that Twitter would comply with that because again, that feels like another made up rule that any user can just have content removed if they don't like it. And while at the same time trying to be a notable public figure, um, again, I, I think staying away from the cult of personalities like Musk and stuff like that, I think that that helps avoid a lot of that stuff. I just, I read it. I'm like, oh, that's interesting. I'll, I'll just keep that. I'll file that uh, back in my mush brain, my old man brain, and then whatever. Um, I, I did comment today about this on the podcast, and I said it. it's interesting, like the MySpace era has never really been examined for what it created and where we are now with like say TikTok, for instance. MySpace was interesting in the sense of it it created personality personality cults around just normal people, like average hot chicks or uh people who just I don't know were able to gain traction or a following. I mentioned Tila Tequila in particular. Uh, had herself a bit of a career for one hot minute until she came out and praised Hitler. A lot of that going around, by the way. Um, And MySpace was really the first like social media platform, even before Facebook, 
where people just created out of whole cloth online personas. Um, like even on MySpace, I like I had a I had a screen name and uh, I had kind of weird photographs and stuff like that. I was I was an OG with MySpace. I never got like age following. It was just local pretty much. Um, but it really was the first time like average people created these public personas that everyone just like latched onto. And it's never really been examined about how that created to where we are now. It didn't really, it kind of transferred over to Twitter, but more so in 2015. And a lot of it had to do with how Trump was able to take his cult of personality and make it successful. And I noted that, you know, Trump's brand of politics was going to create a lot of those people. And it did. And you have to kind of have a bullshit detector on with some of this stuff. I, I mean, I'm cynical about everybody. Um, but generally, if you're paying attention, people will tell you who they are. And uh, a lot of this, usually when this stuff comes out, none of it's ever shocking to, to me. Because, again, if, you, if you've been around a while, you can kind of see who's gaming it and who's here to, you know, make money off of you and who's here to, you know, donate today. And am I being shadow banned and whatever? Um, and I've, I've just worked hard to not ever come off that way. And I hope I don't come off that way. But um, Elon's Twitter is still very bad, is, is the point. Um, this is still someone who's very, very close to the government of China uh, because he needs China for you know, Tesla developments and stuff like that. Um, I don't know if that's dictating any of his decisions, but again, it feels like he's just kind of making stuff up uh, as he goes. So do, do I doubt? If someone came to me and said, hey, this person who's close to Elon Musk was getting content removed, uh, I'd probably say, yeah, that that sounds accurate, probably. Um, and again, I, I don't really know what's going on with algorithms or anything like that. I, I just I, I, I kind of block that out and, and push forward with my day. So um, it wouldn't shock me. But again, what I was thinking about a lot with this whole situation uh, was, again, how the MySpace era really tracked where TikTok is now, where just like there are 14 year olds with millions of followers on TikTok and it's warping everyone's sense of reality. Um, I, there's there's YouTube and Twitch streamers who I who make millions and I'm, I don't know how they do it. I don't understand how it happened. Um, part of that's probably I'm a little bit older. I'm a little bit past that phase. Uh, but also part of it is I've lived through that. I saw the beginning of where we were. And if, if you saw like these people and one of them you mentioned was a was a MySpace personality who's gone through several appears to have gone through several uh, incarnations of themselves. You kind of just shrug and go, yeah, that sounds exactly like what happened with MySpace and where we are today. Just this it's kind of fame chasing and using social media to do it until you find something that, you know, you can glom onto. And a lot of people, especially on the political right, fall for yeah, it's, I mean, I will just say in closing that I have had a very long and documented and public history of expressing dislike for Elon Musk. I think we've mentioned that on other calls. First of all, um, he goes on and on about government overreach. This band would not have a company today without the government because most people don't realize unless you look at the balance sheets, he does not make any profit off his actual Teslas. Where the company makes profit is selling their carbon credits that they are allowed to get by the government for each Tesla they sell. And they sell those carbon credits on to big companies um, like Exxon Valdez, et cetera. So that is literally where their profit comes from, from selling something fake, a carbon credit. <laughs> for every Tesla they sell, you get this imaginary carbon credit that you can then sell for money onto another company. And that's how he makes his money. And that's, I mean, that's not a secret that's on his, you know, shareholder sheets. So he wouldn't be around today 
without the government. So again, I'm not defending the government. I'm just pointing out the hypocrisy there. Um, and I've also been very vocal about the fact that he is in bed with the Chinese and you can't claim that you are pro free speech um, when you're opening factories or showrooms in Xinjiang just to bend the knee to your Chinese overlords. Um, it just doesn't gel. Yeah. And he, and he so. hasn't really been challenged on that as far as Twitter is concerned or, you know, he, he, hasn't presented himself to, you know, a critic on the right because, you know, I I think, as I've said, Twitter as it was, was unsustainable. The way it was going was unsustainable. Um, And so is it good that that old group is out the door? Yes, it's that's that is inevitably a good thing. But that doesn't also mean that you treat Elon Musk as as savior. You still have to kind of question, okay, what is he doing with this platform? Is is he doing something good with it? Is he doing it bad? Ultimately, he just probably should have just left it alone. And, you know, he, he's coming in here and he's making weird creative decisions. He's making uh, social decisions on the fly. And, again, if he's removing public content, that's another problem. And so that's that's one thing I just I, I beg, I beg of people on the political right is to just don't always keep looking for that savior, whether it's culturally. And I understand the need for it. I 100 percent understand uh, the you know conservatives or people on the right are so frozen out of culture that mm-hmm. they will jump at the first person who comes in and, and makes a very large dent in that, you know, in that dam which Musk did. He took away the progressive left and media and politics and political uh, candidates' favorite toy. He just ripped it away from them. And what's interesting is there was all this stuff about pulling him in front of Congress. And when he was just in D.C. today, I think he met with Biden uh, yesterday. And all of that talk is kind of subsided. And it's just kind of like everyone was hoping it would die and then it didn't die. Um, but you, if you pay attention to the conversation, a lot of this uh, regulatory talk around Twitter has died down a bit. And so I, I just I kind of beg and plead with the normies to, you know, don't always assume uh, because someone said, you know, I'm voting for DeSantis, that this person is your savior and and he's good. He has a lot of complicated relationships that I think are still very bad. And I think what he's doing with Twitter is very bad. Um as far as like algorithms and he, he wants to show why you're shadow banned. And, and it's like, just lift the fucking shadow bands. Like, just do it. Like who cares? Um, and so again, if he's favoring certain people like that, that are just users, um, the cat turd will go off about their engagement. And then Elon Musk is, I'll look into that. Like, who cares? Like it's, it's crazy to me. Like that that's the most important priority is how what cat turds engagements look like especially if you've been on twitter 10 years and people have been doing that for 10 fucking years i'm shadow banned retweet now and so (laughs) i mean it's it's just obnoxious i just look at that kind of behavior as just obnoxious um and you know i'm i'm someone who in a way depends on twitter for at least advertising my other content if i got banned tomorrow i would just tell people hey that was fun while it lasted. And by the way, I'm over at Substack. I would lose a very powerful advertising tool. And that's kind of how I've looked at Twitter now for the past few months. I noted that I went 2011 through 2023 with never getting so much as a suspension warning, not once. And then three weeks ago, I was frozen out of my Twitter account for 12 hours. Yes, first, time I've been, first time I've been suspended ever. Um, and so... You know, I look at that and I just go, okay, I guess that's where we're at now. 
well, I don't necessarily believe that things will get better, but it's nice to hope that there will be some sort of bastion of free speech at some point in the future. Um, thank you for taking my call. And again, good luck on Substack. Thanks, Faye. If that is your real name. <laughs> I'll talk, talk to you later, Faye. Back Sheila and finish up with Little Red. I think we always finish with Little Red when, when she's on here. But uh, Zach, thanks for waiting. Go ahead. Oh, uh, not a problem. I, I actually was taking a break from working. And so it's actually giving me a reason to stay away from taxes longer. So I'm actually grateful. But um, obviously the Hamilton 68 stuff I found absolutely hilarious because Twitter kept telling these people like, uh there's nothing connecting these people to russia at all and then um you know obviously bill crystal and those around him were running out going oh god russia's even got contacts in twitter that's hiding this stuff and it to me it's it's hilarious and it's a bit sad that people would dilute themselves to that point. Yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it, it pulls back the curtain to show you how the sausage is made that <clears throat> someone like Bill Crystal is not just a do gooder journalist, you know, and an author. And, you know, he's obviously a political strategist as well. But it, it, it the thing that the Hamilton 68 stuff shows, it just pulls back the curtain on like just the, just, in the words of the Joker, the schemers. Um, and it's crazy. I thought it's interesting that like, if you would have told me three months ago, you know, Yoel Roth seems to be a bigger advocate of free speech than Bill Crystal, I would have laughed at you. But it, when you look at Taibbi's threads, it's pretty much Yoel Roth is sitting there going, we have no, you're telling us that these are Russian asset accounts pushing bot armies. And he's like, I'm telling you, I'm looking at our dashboard and they're not. And they, if Twitter was really the only platform that kind of told them to take a hike. So they went, they went to CNN, they went to Wash Post, and they go to the New York Times, and they're pushing all of these narratives about these bot army campaigns. And the, CNN bought it. And the New York Times and Washington Post, because it was Crystal and because it was John Podesta, they just, they bought it. Just, they bought the whole thing. And again, the, the most frightening thing about it is how this, basically this imaginary think tank was able to do this just through sheer rumor, just sheer, just sheer, just, Hey, we have sources that say this is about, and now you go back and you, you look at a lot of that coverage and you just kind of just shake your head at it. And it, it makes you wonder how much of the Mueller investigation, we obviously know the steel dossier is a big problem. How much of the stuff was just simply generated to, impeach a president which is what it was used for to just try to get them removed a and forget about who trump is forget about who the president is a democratically elected president uh and a lot of this stuff was just uh kayfabe to just get him impeached or get him out of office because again you couldn't accept the results of an election and uh to, to see how this stuff goes on is you're right it's some of it's just how do you get to that point of your career where it's like, I'm going to go do this now? And then the other part of it is it's frightening. It's frightening because they were able to do it and they were able to wield influence over so many journalists who it's a journalist's job to be skeptical about anything. Anytime someone comes to you and says, hey, you know, there, there's a Russian bot thing, da-da, 
and you say to them, okay, I need to see proof. No, no, no. It's just, it's sources. I can't reveal the sources. Okay. You want me to run with this? Yeah. Just run with that. Uh, what was funny is that Hamilton 68 wouldn't let Twitter see its dashboard. Twitter said, where are you getting this information from? Show us. And uh, Hamilton 68 would not show them their dashboard or show them the accounts that they were talking about because they knew that it didn't show that. So all they had was you essentially had Louise Mensch running <laughs> the whole of our journalistic apparatus for, for four and a half years. And so uh, it, it's yeah, you're right. It's insanity. And the fact that none of them have answered for it, uh, they didn't they didn't give comment to Taibi. And again, so much of this stuff, the Alpha Bank story, which fell apart, um, either deserves a retraction or just a full out apology. And it is good to see Columbia Journalism Review, which, again, is not, you know, of the highest ethics in uh, journalism itself. It's good to see them like just going detail by detail over the coverage of the last four years of Russiagate. Um, it, it's good to see a liberal outlet. To see. Well, it, yeah, I mean, it, it is good. And and at the same time, um, I never quite understood because they, they, they seem to make everything about Russia. You know, yeah, I mean, that's the other, that's Russia, the other question. Russia. I mean, if it's Crystal, who's an old school Cold War neocon, that's, I mean, that's what I questioned. Did, did he do this actually thinking that the Russians were like invading us Red Dawn style? Or did he know it was bullshit and pushed it anyway? And when you look back at, you know, who was pushing Romney and Romney obviously had, you know, the thing about Russia being geopolitical threat and he was right. Um that's kind of where I'm at with it. I'm just kind of like, this was digital McCarthyism. It was pointing at everyone and screaming red scare. And I guess my question is, is did they do this knowingly or did they just really actually think that whenever someone tweeted the hashtag Blexit, that that was a Russian bot? And why would they think that? Um, that would be my question. And we, of course, know that those guys are so high up on their thrones that we won't get answers. Yeah, I mean, uh, we're we're never going to get an answer, but, uh, you know, somewhere I have to believe even, you know, the dumbest person on Twitter, which is probably Brooklyn Dad, and how does he get paid to tweet stupid shit? Like, I can tweet stupid shit with the best of them, and no one's paying me to do it, so... I'm a little upset about that. But, <laughs> How do you um, think I feel? I've, I've never been paid to push a tweet, ever. I've, I haven't even been approached by anyone to do it. I get people who send me their stories. Um, there are like there are people who are press secretaries or they do work for certain politicians, and they'll tweet me and say, hey, did you just make sure you see this. Um, so I, uh, you see my former of how I tweet. I basically just retweet or whatever. So there, that does happen. Yeah. But, yeah, it's crazy that you have, like, influencers on the left that just got the White House invite where you know that, you know, some of these people like Brooklyn Dad, we know he's a paid DNC, whatever. He got paid to just basically push tweets because the DNC wanted his audience. And I, I laugh at that. I'm like, I have never even been approached by someone like, hey, we'll, you know, we'll pay you, you know, a thousand dollars if you, if you tweet out this endorsement or, or, or whatever, um, which I think is just, it's, I think it's hilarious. So would I do it? Eh, I don't know. I, I can't say no to that, but no, it's, it, you're right. I don't know how that stuff happens. And then they all get like a fucking White House interview. Um, they get a White House tour. 
by Ron Klain, who just said, we're, these are going to be our influencers and we're going to bring you under the wing of the DNC and you're, then you're going to tweet what we want you to. And I would just kind of laugh if a politician told me that, like, hey, I need you to go out and tweet this. I'm like, what? No. <laughs> yeah. I don't, even, I don't even like, quote, tweeting the RNC research account, which I think is very good. Um, and I know the guys behind it. I know, you know, Alex Sears and they're running it. Um, but I don't even like quote tweeting that account. But I've, I've noted in the past, they're the only ones posting clips of Biden's weird shenanigans. Like they're not coming from other journalists. And so I have no choice sometimes but to quote tweet the RNC research account. So I don't even like doing that because it's an official party account. And those guys are as well pushing an agenda and whether you politically agree with it or not is completely beside the point. But yeah, I, I don't know how that, it, that just even happens. <laughs> People just are like yeah. getting paid, getting paid to just tweet shit out. It's crazy. It's also just because the platform is, it has such an overvalued presence in, in media. And that's why, you know, we talk about it a lot because if it, if journalists and media weren't so dependent upon it, I wouldn't be talking about it. Um, I, I don't ever talk about Facebook, if you notice, like ever. Um, and I don't really like Facebook. I don't even really use it, but I'm still on there. I still go in and look at what's happening. Um, but Facebook doesn't drive the heartbeat of news like, like a live, you know, as it happens platform. Um, but it's it is it is kind of insane how that happens. But again, the overvalue on Twitter is also how you get the Hamilton 68. It's also how you get things like the Lincoln Project. The Lincoln Project wouldn't exist without Twitter. They wouldn't know how to get their message out. And so that's the other thing about Hamilton 68 with the Twitter files is they really, truly believed that Hillary Clinton lost an election due to uh, Russian interference and Cambridge Analytica and $1,300 worth of Facebook ads. They, they truly believe it wasn't because Hillary Clinton was actually the person who Bill Kristol said she was for years and years before he just decided. Well, and, and it, it's not just that, but it was still going on even after Trump because when, when Russia invaded Ukraine, you still had these people going on on TV and somehow claiming that it was part of Putin's connections to Trump to invade Ukraine after Trump's presidency and not during. And, and they don't stop and realize that the concept of time makes their argument, well, dumb as hell. And the other part of it that's important is, and Glenn Greenwald was correct about this, this is where the whole disinformation apparatus came from. The Nina Jankowicz's and the people pushing this. If you recall, Hunter Biden's laptop was labeled Russian disinformation. Was Crystal and Podesta part of that? Was Hamilton 68 part of that movement? Uh, because that one got to Jen Psaki. And Jen Psaki has never once taken back the fact that she called that Russian disinformation. She's never had to account for it from a single White House reporter because those reporters are now her colleagues. Again, she went from CNN to the White House to NBC. And that, again, is an incestuous problem. Um, and that's how we got to this whole Russian disinformation thing where the FBI said that this is happening. You had intelligence officials saying it's happening, former intelligence officials saying it's happening. And then you had Twitter going, this isn't happening. 
And you had the FBI going, yes, it is. We know it is. You need to go find it and you need to turn it over to us. You need to turn these accounts over. And Twitter said, well, we're not going to do that because we're not seeing what you think you're telling us we're seeing. And so, again, Yoel Roth and Twitter deserve a lot of credit for basically telling those people to go take a hike. And um, you know, that might be hard for people to hear. It might be hard for people to stomach in a night where we're criticizing Elon Musk and praising Yoel Roth. But again, that's why you don't build up margin. Well, yeah, yeah. Um, and I will say this. There is one reason that Elon Musk buying Twitter is a positive, regardless of whatever happens, content moderation, the fact that we now see all these files and we see Hamilton 68, that to me, that that's on the plus side. And I don't, there was nothing old Twitter was doing that will ever outweigh that one positive of us actually seeing all this stuff. And um, with that, I'm, I'm gonna let you go. It's actually my St. Bernard turns 11 today. And That's so, getting up there for, for that dog. Bernard's yes, kind yes. Of, a couple years ago, yeah. a couple years ago, I thought I was going to lose her. Uh, she had to have an emergency surgery. The vet didn't think she was going to make it, but she's still, um, she's still going strong. She's still, she's like a grumpy old lady. What's her name? People in comments are asking her name. Her name's Athena. Oh, okay. Yeah, my my female Frenchie Furiosa turns seven uh, on February on February sixth, and that that to me is like kind of like I don't want to be celebrating birthdays anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She, uh, I don't, I'm not one of those like uh, like I don't, I don't put my pets up on you know influencer Instagram or anything like that. They do have they do have their own accounts, but it's just for for me to have to post the photos. Um, and so I always do kind of like a, a frozen meat cake with some berries and stuff like that. And I just do a photo and I'm just like, fuck, like uh, yeah. seven for a Frenchie is, is rounding it. And she was kind of the same way. She was a runt and she got aspirational pneumonia when she was a puppy, almost died. And uh, she also had a back problem. She's had everything, but she's been healthy for the last five or six years. So I get blood panels done on her uh once a year just to check and like the vet saw her blood panels and said like she has like the blood of a puppy like she's extremely healthy so i'm i'm guessing she's gonna hang around a few more years but yeah that's that's where i am at least with her i'm just like fuck like i don't want to be i don't celebrate the birthdays anymore yeah yeah well well a few summers ago like i said i i thought i was um i thought that i was gonna lose her and she had surgery and she came out of surgery, and then for about three weeks, I had to cook her food to get her to eat. And um, and uh, you know, because she couldn't walk by herself, like I had to help her stand up to walk somewhere to go. And one day I left, and she was sleeping in her bed in the living room. And I came home, and she had gotten up and gone out the dog door by herself. And I had to help her get back in. But when she did that, I was like, okay, well, she's going to be fine. And she has been. But, um, yeah, she uh, she's not a big fan of toddlers. They're, they're too much too much energy for her. But, <laughs> it won't be resting the toddler from the snow anytime soon is what you're saying. 
Oh, she probably would, but she wouldn't want to hang out with them afterwards. So, but right. yeah, she, um, so anyway, so I've got, I've got her and it snowed in last night. So I wasn't going anywhere anyway. The roads are all iced up here, but, um, did you put a barrel around her neck with like a thimble? I did not. See, you got to do that. If I, I ever got, have. and I, and I, like I say, Bernard's a dog that I could, I could look at and get, I grew up with Mastiffs. So you you have to do that. If you have a St. Bernard, you have to get the barrel around the neck. Yeah, I never have, and I, I should, but so I, I probably will one day. But anyway, uh, it was good talking to you, and um, and don't have too much fun. And my name's not actually Zach. My name is Ben Collins, and I work for the New York Times. Enjoy your cancellation. Yeah, it's a good, it's a good act. It's funny because these shows are all public, and they can be clipped. So I keep waiting for one of them to do it. Ben's another one. We haven't heard from Ben in a while. Sheila, open topic. Go ahead. Oh, hey. I just wanted to congratulate you on your migration to let's, Substack. Let's I pump had... the brakes a little bit until I know it's mm-hmm. not a complete catastrophe. So Okay. But... Well, I mean, it's it's still a move. Um, you know, I had a negative experience with Patreon. I wasn't on very long. I tried to uh, sell my book uh, and my chapter work on there. And it didn't work out. Um, I'm still kind of gun shy when it comes to selling chapter work with Substack. I don't know what I want to do there, um, but you know, I'm just trying to you know get the write on, like get writing again and and continuing to write because I I just got to a place where I just really hated writing because I couldn't you know I couldn't make it go money, and uh, so I just kind of kind of and then the internet got really squallery when it came to like actual real communication and everything all the communication got inverted it got really orwellian and i'm like i don't know and they even know what's up right now so i just kind of withdrew and and waited till i could get to a place where i could get some kind of solid you know it's been almost a year yeah in Feb- on valentine's day it'll be like a year that i moved from Seattle to Texas, so I'm excited about that anniversary because you know a lot of a lot of good developments. Um, I'm writing more regularly on you know things I used to you know always not even think about you know just write, and so that's much better. Um, but again, you know, not everybody's having an, an awesome time at Patreon. Again, if you can just get you can get maced for like two complaints, and you don't even get to see what people complained about. It's just, you know, I got my searches kind of buried. Like, I got, um, like, I tried to find my page in search, and my searches were 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 buried or delisted. So I asked for a full refund, and this had been going on for months, and I had no idea that it was happening. So Patreon didn't work out for me. Um, but I am at Substack now, and that, you know, as long as people are still amplifying that it's a, it's a responsible platform that that kind of is fair to the people who pay into it um with both labor and um administrative costs to to run the platform then you know I'm going to continue to buy in and um you know for all intents and purposes it's been it's been a responsible platform to to good writers writers who are consistently making income from doing that. I've picked up subscribers, so it's much 
you know, the, the trust is being earned and, and I'm, I'm having a better time at Substack. Substacks, right? Yeah, it's, it's interesting just in conversations. I think it's what's interesting about Substack just as a platform is it's managed to kind of avoid the stigma of Patreon. And what I mean by that is uh, if you join Patreon and just someone like me who's kind of a divisive figure to say the least, I'll get kind of like, oh, you're on Grifter. You're begging people for money on Patreon. And my, my answer to that is always like, well, like Red Letter Media has a Patreon. It's not really – begging people for money i'm i'm giving you content like it's that's my it's an income that i'm providing here you're a publisher i mean and so right but it's really interesting how substack managed to kind of avoid that um and i think that that just comes down to the to the quality of people that they lured over there and um i know that they got you know it's kind of controversial when they started they they basically paid they basically paid for Matt Iglesias to come to the platform. People asked me if I was paid and my answer is no, I was not paid by Substack. That was part of kind of, you know, in just full transparency, that was kind of part of the negotiation is when they approached me back in August. Um, my, my concern is that I'm, I'm about a mid-level publisher in the sense of where uh, I, I make a decent income off of it, uh, but I'm not like rolling hands over fist drug money with it. Like say Chapel Trap House is, <laughs> you know, like, like K- Katie Herzog and Jesse Singal, uh, Katie Herzog in particular DM'd me when, when they started and asked me about Patreon and they were like, Hey, is this, is this good? Is what do you like about it? like whatever? And she says, we're thinking of, cause I interviewed Katie for one of my very first episodes she was someone who came on my radar who is just a fascinating creature. She's very smart, um, but also just comes off like completely irresponsible. Um, I think she's one of the best people out there right now. But um, she, when she left her publication in Seattle, um, which it's also funny, uh, her former editor was, became uh, a guy started dating someone who was close friends with me, for years in Seattle, completely independent of knowing any of this stuff. It was fucking weird. Um, but but when she, when she left, um, and she kind of got me, we had a few conversations about, uh, okay, are you going to jump Patreon? And what's it like? And I kind of tried to help her out with some of the pros and the cons. So her and Jesse Singal jump on Patreon. And I would say within a month, they lapped me in suburbs, just completely lapped me. So, which they're very good at what they do. They're a good partnership. Um, and then they, of course, jumped from Patreon to Substack. So I was even then asking them, how, how easy was this? And so um, when I moved to Substack, I was, I was basically trying to negotiate a safety net, which is as of right now on Patreon, I've to, to, like, because I announced I'm leaving, I've lost 300 followers. And that's obviously mm. lost income, which is fine because they're moving over to another platform. But if that if that wasn't done with ease, then it's like I'm going to have to, you know, eat one of my pets for a month just to, you know, uh, to save on rent or anything. I'm totally fine in that department, but that was always the concern. So I know that Substack took a little bit of grief for that, but a, but a lot of companies do that now with apps and stuff like that. So, no, I was I was not paid by Substack. It was sort of part of the negotiation, but then we figured out, okay, here, how can we do this? to ease this burden. And, and I think for the most part, it, it, it was pulled off. 
But that's what's interesting to me about Substack. They were, you know, because they brought on right off the bat Greenwald and Iglesias and a few others, um, they were able to avoid that stigma of Patreon. Patreon was always just kind of known for Chapo Trap House and, and a few others. And as I've always said, the political right to me never really caught on with Patreon, and which is kind of weird to me because it's, it is a progressive platform. It is one that supports more liberalized content uh, and more progressive content just because of who runs the platform and who they are. And so when I decided to join it, I was kind of like, I'm going to come in here in your fucking living room and just sit down and I'm going to make you move me if that's what it takes. And they never, as I said, they never, I never heard a peep from them about content or warnings or reports or anything, hmm. which surprised me in three years, not a single thing. Maybe I'm just not controversial enough. Maybe I'll have to fix that at Substack. I, I think um, you're doing great, Stephen, because you've got, you've got a good, you know, pop standard for political discourse and you cover like a broad range of issues i mean you you skate on top of tech really um skillfully uh what i'm doing is i'm in direct conflict with the business model which is freemium for most and um i was coming out hard against um a lot of the higher choices and the hierarchy in tech okay so they didn't want to see me prosper or get any daylight whatsoever they wanted to put stone upon stone upon me and bury me uh with no daylight uh because i was attacking the freemium business model which made it nice and plush getting you know money from both the government and from you know marketing partners who were licensing personal information in the privacy space See, people will say privacy out of one side of their neck, but what they really mean is data licensing, okay? It's a privacy front-side agreement facing you, but on the, on the back side, it's, you know, mincing and chopping. It's a complete, you know, it's like a butcher uh, farm of all these different spreadsheet columns of your information that you feed into the system, they treat it from the time that you give it to them like they own it, but they don't. It's yours. It's your information. But they've gotten really poorly trained into thinking that this is a line of income that belongs to them. They treat your information as a source of money and like it is theirs. So, you know, it's not an ethical practice. You know, your information does belong to you. It is your intellectual property uh you have private property rights in this united states but none of the people in the tech architecture at sand hill and at berkeley and in the colleges at uw really want to really want to acknowledge that you have ownership over your data because if you started invoking ownership over your data and asking for residuals rights you know those sorts of things over you know, to get some of those things. Hey, how about some royalties? You're licensing my information. Um, then they treat you like the enemy. You are the enemy. Um, it's it's the saying where if it's if it's free, you're the product, basically. So I mean, that's how it's been for. Uh, I mean, even going back, MySpace, Facebook, Twitter, obviously, is if the social media platform is free, you're you're the product, and I guess you have to be okay with that. 
Um, which I, I mean, I'm one of those people where I'm not okay with that. Um, I, I'm one of those people where my webcam is taped up and, and even though I already know China is working on a clone of me right now in a lab. Right, the digital twin. I'm still not going <laughs> to, I'm still not going to fucking give them like, you know, TikTok. So, um, and that's, I mean, it, and it's an obviously, and it's an interesting debate about, um, what, if I publish on Substack, does that become Substack's property or does it become mine? Um, or, or, what have you. And that's, again, that's a debate that's just going to ramp up even more now with creation of AI, which is something we don't have time to go into, Sheila. No, no, it's okay. That's that's a whole (laughs) other part of this debate is, you know, with the creation of AI text is, is it copyrighted? Is it intellectual property and all of this stuff? And, you know, it, it is, it is a delicate balance between, again, using a, using a, a platform like Substack, for instance, or Patreon uh, and what exactly it, 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 does it belong to you? And then, of course, Patreon is charging a surcharge on the fee to use the platform. And it's kind of like you're charging me for the content that I'm producing. But, of course, they have to keep the lights on. So it is it is a complicated debate. And it's one that uh, us libertarians are, are not always easy with. So Yeah. Yeah. And, and if they could choose a better business model, I think Substack has got something really, really great. Um that that seems to be ethical enough. Uh, if it's going to attract somebody like Glenn Greenwald, who's really very purist in a lot of these things, yeah, um, you know, because he he started the Intercept and the the subscriber base over there was also an experimental uh, business model that didn't require the sale of personal information. So I'm still I'm still you know kind of trying to revisit that. You know, there's all these other uh, business models, but I think that 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 the freemium is the most dominant one because it made the trade with other foreign businesses and and China, you know, strong. It made global trade strong. So that that's like the hidden secret of what is going forward with that. And of course, nobody wants you to know that. So I'll just shut up. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, Sheila, good as always. I'm going to move on to uh, a little red and we can just wrap this up. But um, let's uh, let's not like get too congratulatory and pray to God I don't uh, foobar this whole thing up yet. Little red, as usual, you're you're bringing up the, the end of this, the last thing. So, again, open topic news. Anything. Uh oh, am I gonna am I leaving work early tonight? I'll give her a second. <laughs> I always love these dead air. Yeah, I'm gonna have to wait. Let me look at what you wait, guys wait, are. wait. Oh, there she is. Can oh, you hear me now? Yeah, I was just looking at chat. I wasn't gonna boot you. Go ahead. <laughs> okay. No, I was going to say, in fairness, um, you did try to bring me on not last one time, and the app crashed on me. Uh, well, then, then I won't do that anymore. Ended up being last. You might just, you might just, how about, <laughs> no matter where you are in the queue, you will always be last. So if you, if you end up as the first person, I'm just going to end it right after you. I won't take anyone else. So maybe I'll just do that from now on. You'll be honorary last, and I'll just explain <laughs> to people, sorry, we're only going to do a 10-minute show tonight. Uh, anyone after Little Red is is gone, and we're going to wrap up. So maybe <laughs> that that sounds like a plan. <laughs> so I um, am here with a customer service support request. 
go ahead. Um, the only way to find you on Substack is to search Miller versus Media with no spaces. With no what? Spaces. Hmm. See, here's what's interesting is, so if I Google Miller versus Media, it's the second thing that comes up. The first one is call-in, and then it's Substack is the first one. But are you talking like to physically... I'm talking about on the app. To physically yeah. search me on the mobile app. Yeah. Okay. I will, I haven't obviously done that. So I do have the app. So I will look at that and I will bring that up to them on my next time that I decide to speak with them. Okay. But I, just uh, I, mean, I saw, I saw complaints I... with that. One of the, one of the reasons why is because I know it went, because my, the page went private for a short while. Um, I know because it goes private, it's unsearchable. And so maybe it just needs to kick in again because it's not private anymore. So I don't know, but I will certainly mention that to them. Thank you. I appreciate that. I think it's, I think it's funny that it's already like the second thing that comes up. It's even over Patreon. (laughs) Well, that's me um, with the SEO right there. (laughs) Um, yeah, so I'm all signed up. I'm not a founding member because I am poor, but (laughs) I'm super excited for your move and I hope it works out. So I just wanted to talk a little bit about how everyone was super excited is the wrong word about the release of this tape. And then it just kind of fell out of the news. Um, I'm talking about the Memphis thing. The, uh, the Tyree Nichols body cam footage. Yeah. Yeah. And yet I don't, I think part of it is it was not exactly as advertised the way it was built up was, and I think it's a, I think it's pretty graphic footage, but the way that it was built up was that this is worse than the George Floyd footage. And the, the way our media built it up in the release of it didn't really come as advertised um, just because there's, there's kind of questions. He, he obviously takes off, he takes off running. So it's kind of, he seems to be resisting. That's not an excuse to beat the guy with a baton 50 fucking times with an inch from his life. Right. Especially when he, it doesn't seem like he's deemed ever really a complete threat. There's a, one of the officers uh, saying he went for the gun or, or whatever, but you know, there's in that far away footage. I mean, they stand him up. He's already on the ground and they pick him up onto his feet and then they hit him with the fucking baton again. And so that, because it's far away, it, it's more reminiscent of kind of the Rodney King stuff, but I think that that one is part of it. Two, they're demanding justice be served, and, all, and those officers have already been charged. So it really kind of flamed out in that sense, and they really, really wanted riots. Um, but as I noted, if you notice, the, even nationally, it just didn't boil over. It didn't boil over again. Nobody kneeled during the NFL games. Nobody uh, walked out during the NBA games over this. Nothing. There was some angry tweets about it. There were obviously Atlanta and Memphis rolled in the National Guard as as Grandpa pieced out to Camp David. Um, But part of the reason why I think it's out of the news is because one, they can't make the racism tag stick on this because there's no there's no evidence even even with and I see the political right saying this, this is black on black crime, whatever. I'm not even going to go there. It's just, there's no evidence that Tyree Nichols was targeted because of his race. And it doesn't help their case 
that the five officers are also African-American. They're, they're officers of color. And so if you can't make that aspect of it stick, um, they have to change to other things, which is what I said. Now it's reimagining the police and we must deal with this. They disbanded the Scorpion unit, whichever, whatever they have that. Um, and that's partially why. And the other part of this is there wasn't really a cover-up. There's some inconsistencies in the first police report with the footage. So it certainly looks like they were downplaying this incident. But once it reached the prosecutor's office, they said, we're going to charge these guys and they need to be dismissed. And they are. So everything kind of, as far as the system goes, is, uh, is, has worked. And that's part of it. They can't really point to any part of this and say, this is systemic racism at work. This is systemic corruption at work. This is like whatever. No, th- these guys pulled this guy over. They uh, unjustly basically beat him to death because they were just upset he made them run. Um, and they're arrested. They were dismissed and then they were charged and they were, and they're charged with these crimes. So up until now, the system has worked. Now there's going to be a trial and that'll be interesting. But yeah, it, 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 it did peter out because they could not make the, the race riot. Uh, they could not make that, that talking point stick. Another part of it, it's fucking cold outside right now. So in these cities yeah. in New York and all of these cities where they go marching, it's fucking freezing. And so protesters like warm weather. We've learned that, it's, you know, it's it's kind of in their in their uh, blood that they do not like going out in the cold to sit. Well, Portland is an exception, but we didn't even have right here <laughs> for this one. We did have a protest about that. That guy from Maine who got shot in, in a. Yeah, I mean, I guess I look at it and I just go, if you say to these protesters, what do you guys want? We want justice. Well, you got that. They're charged. We want the system. And eventually you'll get down to they want the police abolished. And that's kind of what right. I wrote at Examiner today about this. They they have not changed their position on any of that, no matter how unpopular it is, how much they've been told to stop talking about it, stop saying defund because it's electorally poisonous. Um, they just said, well, what if we say reimagine police? Oh, yeah, do that. That's better. Um, just like they like to reimagine gender. And so um, that's pretty I mean, everything in this case kind of went by the book and that was kind of all part of it. Um, and so I, they tried. They really, really tried to get people's blood up. But I think most people just kind of went, why are you trying to make this a race issue when race was not involved in any of this? It doesn't even matter to me that the five officers are black. This this guy was not targeted because of his race. And it's that simple. It it just seems to me like it was five really bad dudes who got their heat up, their their blood up, so to speak, you know. Yeah. They were just five bad dudes. And... (laughs) You know, I mean, they were kind of acting like a gang. In a yeah. Way. And I mean, I also talked about two of these officers were hired because of relaxed background checks. Why? Well, because they had to relax background checks knowing cops because nobody is signing up to be a police officer. So what do you get? You don't actually get better policing with no nope. funding. You get worse policing because you get worse actors and you get guys like those five guys who sign up to be uh, power hungry trips. And so. Again, this is their own policies coming back to bite them, but that's not a discussion we can have. We must we must have the discussion that the beating of Tyree Nichols was the result of the 1619 project. Right. And just the last thing I want to say is I really hope you're right about that whole transgender figure skater dude because <laughs> man, I I was horrified and actually really embarrassed 
watching it. So I yeah, I mean, was, it was horrifying. It was so sad. And the, and the whole reason they did it, it's the European tournament. So I don't even know who sanctions it or whatever. I'm not really a figure skating kind of, you know, competition connoisseur here. But I really wonder the decision there. Like, yes, we have to put this person out there. Like, is he dying of cancer? Like, he just wants <laughs> to make a way. <laughs> you're going to put them out there just to say that you did it. That doesn't do anyone a service. It doesn't do the transgender community a service when it looks like a joke. Like, it looks like a skit from Saturday Night Live, like Chris Farley doing it, you know? Um, it doesn't do – that's that to me is the biggest thing. It doesn't do the transgender community service. Like, I would be asking if, if that was part of it. I'd be like, do you think this helps you? Like, if you send someone out there and they're in shape and they're fit, and don't tell me you can't find a male figure skater who's, you know, decided I'm going to be female. There's about five of them you can probably name off the top of your head. Um, one of them hosts the Kentucky Derby every fucking year. But the fact that you just you're doing it just to do it. Uh, this person is not a skater. And he's been doing this like three years. There's another clip of him dressed up as a geisha with white face paint on and he can't skate. And I'm like, so he's been doing this for three years and he hasn't gotten any better. Do you practice, sir? <laughs> like, and uh, so oh, the fact, man. yeah, that they do just... this just to just to say that we broke a barrier, just to say this was the first figure skater. Well, no, because he, he didn't actually figure skate. Just going out on the ice is not really figure skating. Figure skating is an art form. It's a dance form. There's choreography. There are mm -hmm. uh, there are specific moves involved that you're graded on that you have to perform at to get certain scores. And that's how they know their routines right up front. So to say that this is the first figure skater, no, just putting on a dress and going out there and going in a straight line before falling down. That's an insult. I mean, it's just an insult to, I guess, the sport. It's an insult to the people who train for years, on, train from 5 a.m. to 7 p.m. every day uh, to, to do this. That, to me, is the biggest part of it. This is not someone who is actually a figure skater. They just they wanted to realize their dream. And so they, this, this figure skating competition goes, okay, put them out there. And like I said, just the cherry on top is the actual figure skater has to go over there and help him up. <laughs> and she just hands him the flag and skates away. And I'm like, yeah, that, that right it's, there sums up the whole thing right there. It's not even an insult to figure skaters. It's an insult to people who can skate across a fucking rink. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean? Like... It's an insult to anyone with a pair of eyes. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, so... Um, I'm planning on canceling my Patreon as soon as I listen to your episode today. Will it? Will you be posting the sub Substack tomorrow, or should um, I my Patreon? I'm. I don't know if the if the if the like the five or six episodes will be updated Substack tomorrow. I have an email into them, so they may do it tomorrow. Um, like I said, if, if you cancel like now, you might lose it, but also um, you just, I don't think you'll be charged. I don't know this close to the, this close to the cutoff. I don't actually know, but yes, any, any of the episode that I did, if you cancel, they will be over on Substack, including the one today and the, the two or three or four others that I did that are missing. Well, I have my super secret link on my 
podcatcher. So I'm super excited. <laughs> you have a good yeah, night. I, I have like uh, about five or six more hours of testing, and then I'm going to try to pop myself out and then get on it tomorrow. So. Okay, well, good luck. We'll see. Thanks, Little Red. Okay, bye. Uh, again, this was just kind of a light Q&A, uh, episode 48, open topics, so a good mix, uh, a, a good discussion of both Substack maintenance and just news of the day. Um, I'm going to try to be back here. I may be back here tomorrow night to just talk more about the launch, and hopefully it goes okay. Um, if not, uh, I'll probably be back here. Uh, what is this? Is this Tuesday? This is Tuesday, probably uh, Thursday. Um, again, just to do a post ups and make sure that everything's going well. It, it's easy when I can like talk to people and they're like, yes, this is the problem. Um, so yeah, as I said, tomorrow, uh, will be first podcast over at Substack. Uh, I will also, I'm also writing a piece for spectator that w- hopefully might be out tomorrow. Uh, basically asking one very simple question. Why is Donald Trump running for president again? So that might be one that will generate a conversation. So, uh, again, uh, I will be on Substack for a first post tomorrow. I will also cross post to Patreon. So for for anyone who uh, isn't getting the messages, or whatever, as I said, I'm still going to cross post to Patreon for I'm looking at a week or two. And then by middle of February, I'm going to stop posting at Patreon completely and just kind of wait for that machine to putter out. And then, like I said, light a match and shut the doors and off we go. So again, thank you for your patience uh, as I kind of help facilitate this whole thing. I appreciate it. And uh, again, as I said on the podcast, hear me, um, even doing a move like this, it's not possible without having your support over the last three years of Patreon. Um, I didn't, I wasn't sure how it was going to go when I launched it three years ago. I wasn't sure if there was going to be an audience for it, if it was even going to work, what I was going to have to do. I wasn't sure if I was even going to have enough material to do it. And as you've all heard, I clearly do still do. Um, so again, uh, thank you. I, I couldn't do it without your subscriptions. I couldn't do it without your support um, or even putting up with my pet emergency nonsense every once in a while. So again, uh, I thank you for that. And I thank you for your continued support, hopefully over at Substack. Uh, again, episode 84, open topic, Q&A, Hamilton 68 and more. Uh, I am Stephen L. Miller and this is Versus Media Live on Colin. And I will, uh, <laughs> yeah, I may get one now, Bo. He says I need an assistant. Maybe. 